0: Hi, Damien DeMarcus from 100 Not Out here. MP? Yes, Damo? We all know the importance of having a diary, but who wants a boring old day planner? Not me. Enter The Journey of Me. Ta-da! The incredible eight-month wellness journal designed especially for wellness peeps like you. Yes, Damo, this beautiful eight-month wellness guide is
1: filled with questions, planners, exercises, reflective notes, and more. Endorsed by the Up For A Chat girls and loved the world over, The Journey of Me is a must-have if you're ready to live your best life for life. To purchase your very own journey of me and receive a free
0: set of inspirational postcards, simply enter the code COUCH at www.wellandnew.com. That's www.w-e-l-l-i-n-e-u-x.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming
1: wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara. Karen Smith and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm standing in for Karen Smith, and it's Kim Morrison. Oh, and I'm Cindy O'Meara. And here we are with one of the most exquisite Mm. human beings you could ever picture, We don't have the pleasure of our gorgeous Kaz this week, but we have got an exceptional guest that'll make up for the tour, for for everybody actually. (laughs) Dr. Natalie Congratis is one of, uh, look, I met her, I followed her for years, and then a couple of years ago I happened to be speaking at the Wellness Summit. Thank God I didn't know she was in the audience because I would have just gone to the absolute pack, but she came up to me afterwards and I got such a shock and I went, oh my God, I've just spoken. And she said... (laughs) Yeah, I just heard you, and I just about died. <laughs> so I just want you to know you are one of my gurus. I so look up to you and absolutely adore all the work that you do. So welcome to our show, beautiful Nat.
0: Oh, thank you, ladies. You're going to make me cry before we started.
1: I <laughs> know. Oh, well, oh, we're pretty a lucky Beautiful
0: introduction. Now I feel like I've got big shoes to fill. Oh. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for having me. It's
1: such a delight. To be, uh, it's an honour to be asked to... Uh, Uh, chat with you ladies. Well, we've been wanting you on the show for a long time and we actually put a question out to all of our followers on Facebook and said, you know, if you could have any topics that would be of interest, what would it be? And quite a large number came back with the topic of preconception care. So it seems to be a topic that's not talked about a lot. So before we get into that though, could you just give us a little brief background as to who you are and why you got into the work that you're doing and what you're up to now?
0: Totally, I'd love to. Well, I'm a doctor of Chinese medicine and um, I'm excitingly an author now, which is is, um, a a wonderful thing to have experienced. But um, basically, when I opened my clinic 11 years ago, I, I experienced this influx of women that were having challenges with their fertility. And it really. First of all, I was like, "No way! I am not treating these women. They are bonkers. They're hormonal. Uh, I just can't deal with this. <laughs> I don't have. I don't have the experience to deal with this. And it's certainly not necessarily something that we're taught when we're studying. And and having said that, prior to that, I had I um, committed to 10, over ten years of study to to gain all my knowledge. But it was still an area that I had a lot of questions that I needed answered as a practitioner. So. I I guess I stepped up to the challenge of uh, addressing fertility and and just trying to learn as much as I could about uh, how we see fertility from not only the Eastern perspective, but the Western perspective, because it made sense to me if I could mesh the two together, I could get not only great results, but I could also help these women that were perhaps using Western medication to try and conceive and weren't also getting the answers that they needed. So it put a lot of um, perspective on the situation, allowed me to get some great results but it also led me to become I guess a little bit more curious and then also I had this epiphany one day that you know what happens if we if we were reaching out to young women? And we were trying to educate them so that women weren't getting to a time of wanting to conceive and then having all these challenges. So, you know, helping women understand that whether you're 16, 21, Thirty-five, forty-five. 45, no matter what it is, fertility isn't just about having a baby, fertility is about thriving as a woman and, and, you know, helping women to understand that and that's been certainly a beautiful thing to be able to help anyone, any woman of any age, really rediscover and connect with their own fertility. That's
2: beautiful. Wow, it is. That, that's just brilliant. And you know, you're right, we we don't really think about our fertility and fertility. Fertility until, oh, we need to get pregnant, you know, and then we're not getting pregnant instead of um, teaching our young women, uh, especially about um, their own cycles. Because a lot of kids don't know their cycles, Nat. They've got no idea when they can get pregnant, when they can't get pregnant, when's ovulation. Mm-hmm.
0: I know. The amount of women that I have come into the clinic and they'll say to me, oh, I've been trying, and we'll say, oh, great, okay, so you got a good sense of ovulation and you know what that that's like, and they look at me and say, I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> and you know, we, you and I can have a giggle because we, mm. we know that and that aspect is, but I, I think the pill's got a lot to be answered. I mean, it's got a lot to answer for. In this, it's really um, disconnected us as women. It's not anyone's fault. It's just the way that it is. That it's we, These girls haven't needed to know. They haven't had to look. They haven't had the opportunity to look. You know, some girls are prescribed medication like the pill or Marina's or whatever we're talking about from the age of 14 or 15 to theoretically fix an issue, um, which it doesn't unfortunately it doesn't do that so they've never actually had to look at their menstrual cycles yet they they come off their medication or the pill and all of a sudden they're like it's almost like they're taking a stab in the dark because they don't understand their menstrual cycles anymore and it's it's such a gift to be able to understand what your body's what your body's telling you every month I think it's you know it's amazing and 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 perhaps it's not delivering you amazing signs and symptoms every month but that's also a, a reason to go and explore further as to well, why is it you know why do I have period pain or why can't I tell when I'm ovulating and, and get really curious and and see these things as a gift as well you know rather than something that you hate on month after month.
1: Matt um, I think one of the big issues that I've noticed is probably from our generation when the pill was so prolific and And for women, it was seen as a sign of freedom either to control their periods so that they kept taking the pill and didn't have it at all, or they'd have an injection that would last for months. Um, It was seen as kind of a sign of freedom. Um, So therefore, our generation of having children, if we were fortunate enough to do so, it's really sad when I hear this generation and my own generation saying, it was a bloody hassle or Mm. um, it's such a pain in the butt or um, it causes all these other problems for me. And I think you've just alluded to a really important fact that we have lost touch with with what it is to be a woman. Am I correct in assuming that we should not have pain every month if we were a really healthy, vibrant woman of, of any age in that first fertile years? Is it right to assume that we should have little or no discomfort?
0: Well, absolutely. I think you know. I mean, let's also. It's it's tricky because young women. It's really common to experience period pain as a young woman when you first, you know, your menstrual cycles first start. And I think we kind of freak out, you know, <laughs> at the beginning. And a lot of mums don't want to see their their daughters in pain. And I get that that can be tri- quite traumatic. And it's not nice to experience pain either. So we want to alleviate that in whatever way we can. But if our bodies are thriving, I mean logic tells you that if your body's thriving, there shouldn't be pain anywhere. And if there is pain, it's it's alluding to something else being an issue that you can explore and, and try and get to the bottom of. But definitely, I mean, and not to forget that we are a product of our environment, you know, our our um, stress levels and what we eat and all these things can influence inflammation in our body that can lead to pain and, and you know, things to work in a different way that we would like them to work. But, yeah. I think that that's really important to understand that pain is is a symptom of a bigger problem and looking at what that is can really find some useful answers as to how you can prevent that from happening. I would say that, you know, nine times out of ten, especially for younger women, pain is very much a result of our lifestyle Mm -hmm. and I think it's quite confronting to hear that because a lot of women will think hang on a minute you're telling me I'm doing something wrong I'm not I'm living to the best of my ability but utilizing these symptoms and not fearing them anymore um, we can have that fresh perspective and uh, yeah I think pain is 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 something that's not supposed to be there
2: oh look I I agree with you Nat you know the the whispers of the body um, turn into screams if we don't listen to those little whispers and um, I do not believe that we are meant to have pain on menstruation. I I think that that is a product of our environment and the hormone disruptors that exist in our environment today within our foods with, you know, they've, they've found xenoestrogens in the polar bears of the mm. Arctic Circle. So we're bound to be um, influenced by them. And I know as a, a young girl being, you know, being brought up, I was the sixties and seventies. Um, started menstruating in the mid seventies. There was like I don't remember having any pain, but then I was brought up in a household with a chiropractor and a mother who was an absolute amazing cook. So I only remember us eating healthy foods, and my father always making sure that you know that structurally we were doing well. Mm. But I am noticing, like I do remember some of my friends having pain back in the 70s. I remember them not being able to come to school. It was rare, but I remember mm. it happening. So I seem to see it happening more and more now. I know this is anecdotal and I, I'm, I'm no proof or anything, but I'm seeing it more and more These um, that people suffer from pain and they're not realising that there's something going on there and they need to do something about it.
0: Yeah totally I think you know I mean the the number of young women I'm seeing come through the clinic doors is more than ever before whether or not that's because we're reaching a different audience or because we're seeing more again I can't say I can only base that on my experience and what I'm seeing and the feedback that we're getting and the questions that come in but certainly um, for young women I, I, I'm seeing that same trend and I think you know I I was speaking to someone on the weekend and they were they were talking about even the toxins that are in um, a mother's breast milk nowadays and you know it got me thinking as to how that's contributing down the line to you know things like our reproductive health and yeah it's coming at us from every direction like you said in our foods in our environment but also I think the other thing that is so important to touch on especially well we're talking about young women's health but also for preconception care is is stress and the impact that that's having on our body and again that's imbalance that's leading to this hormone imbalance like never before and when you're talking about young women I had the privilege to step into schools last year and well, that was a mind-blowing experience, you know, <laughs> 100 <laughs> girls in a room that didn't want to be there. <laughs> Trying, you know, it was, it was amazing. It was great. Like, I loved it. And, you know, you know anything that you and I do, generally the people come because they want to hear what you've got to say. But speaking to 116-year-old girls about their menstrual cycles was just, you know, and stress was, was really interesting. But the point is that, it, it you know, these girls – uh, under like, stress like I've never known it before, I, I mean, 20 years ago when I was their age and at uni, sure, I had a lot of pressure to perform and I wanted to go to university and make something um, of, you know, a career that was what I aspired to. Um, but the pressure was very different and... You know, this stress and pressure that we're putting ourselves under, again, unfortunately, our, our sex hormones are so influenced by our, our stress hormones. And this is where we're also seeing this contribute, you know, this is a contributing factor. So, you know, again, I think we need to look at, like you're saying, diet and lifestyle as a unit to try and do what we can do day to day to overcome this because it's, it's great to get a diagnosis and you know really hone in on what might be happening physically but it's what we do every day that actually amounts to creating a change within our bodies and that's, that's so important for women to understand.
1: Okay, well, let's start, let's start right from the beginning. Can you give us a brief synopsis of what exactly occurs every single month of a woman's cycle?
0: Can you well, just a, go through in it? a perfect world.
1: In a perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go. Perfect. Let's go. Excuse perfect. me, I'm choking on my cup of tea. No, that. <laughs> so, yeah, that, I know. That that was all the girls with the... painful periods zapping you. That's what that was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh dear. Look, in a perfect world, yeah, let's talk about that. So you know, in a perfect world, we are we would want to be in sync with our environment, which means that we would be looking at our menstrual cycles to be in sync with the moon. You know, it sounds very woo-woo, but a moon, a lunar cycle is twenty-eight days, and ideally, you would want to be having a um, a period either with the full moon or the new moon, and the same thing with ovulation. So, if we talk through that, say that on the on the new moon, your period arrives, and you know, you might have that for let's say five days. Ideally, some women bleed longer, some women have shorter cycles, but you know, again, ideally it's something that kind of is a bit of a, not a non-event, but there's not a lot of pain. It kind of starts and you're like, oh, hello, there you are. And, and you, um, you do feel a little bit more tired potentially in that time and you need to sort of take a step back. But beyond that, what will then hopefully happen is that you will notice that um, sort of gearing into cycle day 10, 11, 12, somewhere like that, you'll start to sense symptoms of ovulation. So that not being marked by pain or feeling like a psychopath, that should be marked just by changes (laughs) in your fertile or your cervical mucus. So what I get women to try and hone in on is what does it feel like? You have thousands of nerve endings around your cervix and your vagina that allow you to sense what's happening throughout your menstrual cycle. Just like you might sense that your period's arrived and you might sort of wake up one morning and think, oh, yeah, hello, yep, I can feel that that's present, the same thing should actually happen with ovulation. You should really be able to, to feel that change in your cervical mucus and that change should last for a couple of days you know, in a perfect world again. And then what you should actually notice is from the rest of the cycle, so let's say you're ovulating again in a perfect world somewhere around cycle day 14, then you'll start to notice that from that time onwards that there's not actually any mucus present or nothing that you can actually sense or feel. And that will last until the end of the month, let's say again, perfect world, cycle day around cycle day 28 and that the whole process starts again. Now, the thing that I think women get most mixed up in and this is really important when you're trying to conceive is that your fertile mucus, it's not about the day you see the most or the first day that you see it. It's actually about what it feels like and it's also the last day that you experience that that marks ovulation and this is where women get confused. So typically it actually, and this is really quite you know, um, graphic, I guess. Graphic's not the right word, but it's you know, some women can find it a little bit offensive, but, you know, we're all women and this is the way that it goes, is that that fertile mucus actually feels quite wet and as opposed to any other discharge or mucus that you experience for the rest of the cycle, it generally feels quite dry. So, you know, women, I'll say, you know, have you been walking along or, you know, you've been at the local shopping centre and all of a sudden you're like, oh, gosh, I can feel something down there. <laughs> and. and And they can identify with that. They'll say, "Oh yeah, I've felt that before." And like, okay, well, that's what ovulation, that fertile mucus, feels like. And you have the ability to feel this, not feel it between your hands. Actually, think about what it feels like down there around the opening, and and I quite think that's quite phenomenal because we've lost touch with this. No one's telling us this anymore. I'm pretty sure Mm. that. forever, since the beginning of time, this is what women were using to know when they were fertile and when they were not. It's just that life got in the way, the pills started to um, interfere with our fertile mucus and we got busy and we stopped passing on this information. But it's not new information, it's kind of been there since the beginning of
2: time. It's just that we've lost touch with ourselves as we've established earlier on. It's interesting. Uh, Kim and I used to go to a book club now, and um, we read a book together called The Red Tent. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, I, I suggest everybody to read it because it talked about the full moon, and they all, all the women went to the Red Tent. No men were allowed. Um, they spent three days. Let's just together. say the men
1: weren't fighting that one, were they?
2: No, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, and they all got their their cycles together. You know, they weren't higgledy piggledy, but they all cycled together because they were women living together. They were living within an environment that was clean cleaner than what we are today, because it was based on biblical times. So it was it was Jacob's um, wives, which were all siblings. Um, and one of the daughters. There was only one daughter, but it was it was a real eye opener for me. In I always knew cycles were twenty eight days, and I thought I knew a fair bit, but I had I didn't acquaint it with the moon, mm. and I just from there I just got a real interest in uh, you know yeah. that that whole thing, and started to read Francesca Nash's work mm-hmm. and. Yeah, and um, I don't I don't know enough about Francesca Nash because that was after I'd had all my children. Mm-hmm. But I heard that Francesca Nash says that we can sometimes double ovulate. Can yeah. you talk about that? That that there is a double yeah. ovulation time.
0: Sure. Well, there's a there's the theory that exists that we and oh, okay, you're going to really trust, test my my brain now. But basically, it's it's a it's calculated on where you were born and when the moon, where the moon was at that time that you were born. And then each month that's going to vary. But basically if you are able to, um, it's usually induced by orgasm, um, that you can potentially ovulate twice within a cycle based on where you were born and where the moon was at that time. And, you know, there's actually apps you can download that tell you when your, your time of lunar return is. So it's called your time of lunar return. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's fascinating. It was actually really funny when I was um, ready to conceive Geordie, my second child, I <laughs> I was like, I'm going to test this theory out. And then I just decided that life got in the way. I was like, no, 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 I want to have a baby this month. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I want it to be this month and I want it to be this month and that's it. And I remember going into my husband and saying, because, you know, you know what it's like, you've already got another child and I've got a business and it wasn't about, there's, there's no, one thing I want to say to women that are, you know, preparing for conception or trying to conceive, there is no perfect time. There's just the time, you know, and it was the time. <laughs> and, and so I said to my husband, you know, I'm ready and it needs to be this month. And he said to me, you know, it doesn't work like that. Right. And i like, of course I know it doesn't work like that. I'm that Kringutis. <laughs> this is what I do. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> but I was like, I oh, no, I was determined to make it work that month and I didn't really get to test the theory out. And, uh, well, I've got a girl and a boy and Geordie is three and I'm really not keen to t- test the theory out anytime soon to find out to f- try for a third. So, uh, But I'd love to test it out at one point in my life. Um, but, yeah, it, that's the way the theory works and, you know, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense because how many women do you know that say, oh, gosh, we just had this one time, this one moment of insanity, and all of a sudden, you know, here I am and I'm pregnant. It happens all the time. I have and- one of
2: those.
1: There <laughs> <laughs> you go. There well, and- you go. And who's the hashtag tart now? Yeah, I'm just saying.
2: Uh-huh. Well, no, you know, mine was, you know, I knew my cycle really well and, and I was sure I was not ovulating and Miss Tania dropped out nine minutes later. So yeah. it's really interesting. But I want to tell you, Nat, I know someone who's done that theories, tested that theory out and because they weren't getting pregnant. Mm. So my brother figured it right. out. He read it. Yeah, he read it. And he figured out you know, his wife's um what what did you call it? The lunar turn or the yep. phase of return yeah. That's it. He yeah. figured it out. They got pregnant. Immediately.
0: Awesome. I love it. Yeah. I love
2: it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You have to talk to him about it. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I mean, how?
0: Here's the thing, too. You know, and this is what I say before. It sounds woo-woo, but the moon. If the moon has the ability to pull the tides, and your body is seventy percent water, it makes perfect sense. It can actually, or it has that much of an impact on your body. Mm-hmm. You know, we are so a product of our environment. We know this in every other sense. So. And I think it's beautiful that we are, can be so in tune with our surroundings. And and it's it's also great if you're not um, completely savvy with charting your menstrual cycles. I just always look for oh yeah, what's the moon doing? Where where am I at? And I get really cheesed off when my when my menstru- my cycle doesn't sync up to the moon. I think what have I done this month? But deserve that. And, and often <laughs> it's it stress, yes, stress yeah, yeah, or
1: something you've or, or food. My daughter is pretty powerful with hers now. She. She knows that when it's painful, she's had, her signal is sugar. She's had too much sugar and not enough sleep sort of thing. So she's very good with that. And I love to see it. Or there, there's some fantastic apps now. You can get on the phone to chart everything as well. I, I've been charting mine on an app for seven years. And I think it's yeah. awesome that you can do it so easily and quickly as opposed to Francesca's charts that I used to have up on the fridge. Oh, God, it was hilarious. I'd go into Danny and say all sorts of things. Um, (laughs) I'll tell you a funny
0: story about a a woman came up to me, watched um, Debunking Ovulation, which is one of my e courses. And she came up to me in the street and she said, You don't know me, but I just have to tell you the funniest story. Uh She said, I'd been charting for a couple of months. And she said, And we had this big um, project that we were working on her and her husband. And he'd accidentally like grabbed all the paperwork off her bedside table, <laughs> and they're in this big meeting around a boardroom table, and he pulls out <gasps> the ovulation chart. <laughs>
1: And Don't the big gold think, stars on the days that they did it. Yes.
0: She said she was mortified, but like it was a big presentation and, you know, like the show had to go on. But he was scribbling all over this page showing everybody <laughs> what was going on and she, she's sitting there going, wet day, wet day, dry day.
1: <laughs> hey, um, Ned, I want to ask you, so if we've got a beautiful lady, a couple listening to this who are very keen to start a family, how long before do you think is is the right time to look at preconception care and what exactly is your idea of preconception care?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we've accepted or it's, 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 it's the right time, obviously, for you to put your best foot forward always with your health and to really get things back on track. I mean, it does depend on the history of a patient and if they have been utilising the contraceptive pill or a marina, or an Implanon or some type of synthetic hormone to influence their, their menstrual cycle. A minimum of six months off of that before trying to conceive is my advice. Um, we know that the pill severely robs, and when I say the pill, sorry, I mean all forms of contra- or synthetic contraception. When it comes to preconception care and how long I guess someone should be waiting before trying to conceive I think it really depends on their history and what they've been what they've been up to in you know the lead up to that certainly if you've been on the pill and when I talk about the pill I mean any type of synthetic contraception it, we know that the pill severely robs the body of essential vitamins and minerals and this can cause problems you know later on and we're start- we're only starting to learn this now you know how it influences the mother through birth and through breastfeeding and then the child and their health ongoing so It is really important, I think, that if if that has been the case, that there's a minimum of six months between coming off the pill and trying to conceive to really get the body back on track. And, you know, you do this generally, you know, by diet and lifestyle and being really mindful about how things like alcohol and and toxins and those sorts of things can influence your body, um, you know, These things are known endocrine disruptors. They will upset the way that your hormones work. And and I think that's really important for the average person that hasn't been on um, any type of oral contraception or or implant. um, Again, I mean, it's going to be based on their own personal journey, but, you know, just Really putting your best foot forward, I think, is is important, and making sure that you know where you can, you can, you can be the best version of yourself. So hopefully, your menstrual cycles are on track, and that you you are relatively free of any ty- you know, any um, symptoms around your menstrual cycle. And and I think that you know that's gonna that is gonna vary from person to person, but. getting a good sense of of your menstrual cycle for at least three months I think is really important just to help to to iron out any creases and for you to get back in touch with your body and, and, and know what it's telling you.
1: Mm. I, I mean, I made, ja- I made Jacob. I mean, Danny, I made Danny um, and I do a. Um, <laughs> we did the Candida diet. We did the liver cleansing diet. We did the. I did everything and anything without even realize, realizing I was doing preconception care. But it took. We did it for six months before we genuinely, really. I, I just. I did. I must have had an innate knowing that I just wanted to make sure, you know, I'd had. Time for my body to get into gear for having a baby, and we ate the best you could possibly eat, and everything was organic and so it 's kind of and it 's fun, like I said to danny there's you know you spend your whole life avoiding falling pregnant there 's a very small window where you actually enjoy the creation of it and and it's quite different. There's a different whole sense around it. And I think if you can make it some sort of a celebration and a and acknowledge that the two of you there's not many people that get to really plan and enjoy that process. Is there anything in particular you recommend around food that should be thought about prior you know, in the preconception period?
0: Absolutely. I mean it's the same thing that the beautiful thing is whether you're trying to conceive or not, your hormones still require the same level of care, whether or not you want to admit it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, that, that certainly in that preconception window, people are geared up to, to put in the hard work. So, I mean, there's certainly, there's no time like the present, you know, let's do that, let's, let's put our best foot forward. And, and um, you know, absolutely your hormones are made of fat and protein. And I think one of the biggest problems is so many people have lived on the low-fat food movement for such a long time that their hormones are severely, um, you know, robbed because of them starving themselves of essential nutrients. So, you know, I'm talking about your good fats, not your drive through McDonald's, um, <laughs> you, you, you know, your nuts and your seeds and your avocados and your oily fish and all those beautiful good fats that really help us to not only feel satisfied but they also help to nourish um, and, and provide the building blocks for our hormones. So that would be an absolute... 101 um, essential also um, you know really again if you have a known issue it's like endometriosis or these you know PCOS something that your body is extra sugar sensitive to it's a good time to to you know keep these things on the low down I think the biggest problem is that when we tell ourselves we can't have something anymore we want it a hundred times more Mm -hmm. than we ever did before so it's it's being you know, it's being realistic, but these things are um, foods that will lead to inflammation and and certainly um, will really disrupt the way that our gut functions. And that's part of the issue. We know at the moment of conception, your child will inherit the mother's gut health, which is quite phenomenal, really, because so many women's guts are severely compromised because of the lifestyle that they've been leading. And the pill is one of these contributing factors. So Again, I know I keep going back to the pill, but I think it's really important that we get educated on what it possibly could have done whilst we're on it because I don't feel this information is readily available and so that we can know because the amount of women come to me and say, I didn't know. No one told me that these were the ramifications of taking the pill and, you know, these women have been on it for 20 years and then they come off and all of a sudden they don't have a menstrual cycle. Their digestive system is terrible. They can't absorb the nutrients nutrients that they're eating. And as a result, they don't have a menstrual cycle. So, you know, these little bits and pieces are really useful. um, But I think it also comes down to, you know, simple things like filtered water water that's not going to contain toxins that are going to influence our our hormones making sure we're um getting enough sleep making sure that we're we're um you know we're possible we're just eating the best quality whole foods that we can afford and always organic where possible because again these things contain chemicals and toxins that are influencing our hormones but you know, we have to be, it has to be fun. Like you said, Kim, it can't be a chore. It has to be this beautiful, enjoyable time because we're, we're basically getting ready to create another human being and we want that to be the best, the best and healthiest version of us that it can possibly be.
1: I'd like to add one more thing to that preconception care, and that is really looking at the chemicals in your personal care products as well. And, yes, And cleaning totally. products. And <laughs> um, But, you know, it was something that very much struck a chord for me. I'm very grateful that I've had oils, essential oils in my life from when I was 19. But what was interesting when we were looking at having a baby, I remember going to the doctor um she's she was quite a holistic doctor and and really beautiful about you know mapping, and she was the one that really made me very aware of you know making sure I wasn't spraying lots of chemicals and and doing all that and then I started looking at chemicals and then it was really while we were pregnant that people because of who Danny was in New Zealand that people started sending us little pre baby packs and things mm-hmm. like that, and it was so lovely. but I started reading the chemicals that were in these things, and I thought... I'd never given it as much thought at all until around that time. And I Mm. could not believe how many hundreds of chemicals there were that we could expose ourselves to. Is there any literature that you know, I mean, I know about obesogens and I know about these phthalates and there's so many endocrine disrupting um, chemicals out there. Is there anything that you've come across that you feel is worthy of sharing around that? I'm
0: constantly coming across things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I think you know like I said you know I was talking to someone the other day and even like I said in the breast milk up to 50 known chemicals or toxins that are contained in in our breast milk I think that that's just you know where's that coming from it that's got to be absorbed in our body somehow and I think if we can make this is what I'd add to that too it's it's not hard to make these simple changes, some of the changes that we need to make are hard and some are really straightforward. And it just is a matter of making a better choice next time we're ready to buy a cleaning product or a face cleanser or a shampoo. You know, we know that there can be up to, you know, 80 to 100 chemicals in one product at any given time. And our skin is a massive organ. And we're absorbing that. And of course, it's going to influence, you know, it's going directly into our body and influencing our hormones. and. And so I think yeah, we really do have to, to be mindful of what we're not only what we're eating, like you said, but what we're actually absorbing and, and how that can that will absolutely influence um our, our sex and our reproductive hormones. So I mean there is um I'm, like I said, I'm constantly reading stuff and, Kim, you've got some great stuff and I know Therese Kerr puts a lot of really good stuff out there um, with reference to research around, around you know, these chemicals that, that are in our, our products that, that really are, um, and again, you know, like you said, what what people send you, some of the, the conventional brands of baby care stuff is, mm-hmm. is horrific.
1: Mm. <laughs> and, and so bad. So, but it's so freaky because everything is so, like you say, easily adapted. You know, you can use instead of a... commercial um, body oil you can use you know something as simple as rosehip oil or jojoba oil or or a plant seed oil or it's just it is so simple. Um the one thing that I have that I'd like to just say to people around that is the way I looked at it is I if I noticed two chemicals in particular which were pretty much in ninety percent Of skincare. So, if I knew if they had parabens of any sort in the skincare, I would avoid it. And the other one for me was sodium lauryl sulfate. So, if I ever saw either of those two, or perfume actually, perfume or perfume, because then we knew that that was a fragrance made up of about two or three hundred chemicals alone. So, if you just look at all of your products for those three products, usually ingredients, usually if there's any one of those, often the others will be there. And if there's parabens in it, whether they say on the front, natural or organic or anything else if you see those that things like that in it that's just a commercial marketing tool it's not actually what I would call you know there's many organic products out there that actually use these ingredients so even the word organic or natural doesn't mean anything either Um, so you need to be very savvy but I found those three ingredients perfume parabens and sodium lauryl sulfate if i see just those three as markers then i probably won't touch that brand so that that might be helpful i think
0: um yeah that's it's really interesting too when you talk about fragrance or parfum even in things like our toilet paper Mm -hmm. so how many fragrance toilet paper you know papers are on the market and that's something that is in contact with our most intimate parts especially as a female i didn't know that Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't know
2: know,
0: that that
2: the that you could yeah there's
0: there's lots there's lots out there I can't I I'm really I'm really sensitive to smells my husband calls me the nose and and I'm just like things like that I cannot tolerate and if he comes home and he's done the shopping and he happens to pick up you know those big packs and I'm like I, I sniff the packaging I'm like oh no 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 this is not good we can't we can't utilize this but it is um yeah it's scary and and you know we're wondering why again women are, are having issues with development whether it's it's you know, early development or delayed development, and you know things like this. You might think that you've got it all covered, but unfortunately, there's little, um, there's ways that these things sneak into our lifestyle
2: that are quite scary. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Do you know what I'm I'm hearing? I'm hearing it's an overhaul. You need to look at every aspect of your life in preconception, but that's a good thing because when you do conceive. Uh, and then you have your child, it's good to be in that mode anyway. And what I see at the other end of the spectrum are mothers that have had their children who are very sick children because Mm. they didn't know, they weren't told, they weren't, I don't know, they weren't aware of what was happening and, you know, and they they always say, I wish I'd known. And Mm. I think what I want to know, Nat, is why is the pill allowed? I understand the freedom of the female, but I don't get it. I don't get, because I've been reading, I remember in the 80s, there was a heap of information about the pill and what it was doing to fertility and women. And I don't get why these are even allowed on the market as far as um, what they do because there are so many modern ways to understand your cycle such as the overcure if if people want to do that or you know the sensations and understanding them and i think mm. we know so much now can you uh, talk to me talk yeah. more about the pill You're,
0: love yeah. to well i think or, here's the thing. Mm. here's the thing the pill is the number one most prescribed drug worldwide we know that but here's the problem it is utilised not just as a contraceptive method. It is used to treat everything from acne to period pain to missing periods to ovulation pain to long cycles to short cycles to PMS, you know, period pain, if I didn't say that already, heavy periods, light periods. You know, it's used to treat pretty much every menstrual disorder there is known and then even things, you know, like I said, PMS, which is not necessarily a disorder, it's just mood changes, um... And, you know, we're not actually treating the problem we're utilising the pill. We're actually masking the symptoms of a bigger problem. And so all of a sudden, it's not just used as a contraception method or a contraceptive. It's used for a host of different things. And the biggest problem I have is, like I've touched on, women are using these the pill or, or similar substances for 20 years and then coming off and then discovering oh, holy moly, my problem's 100 times worse now because I didn't actually address it back then. And, you know, pretty much nine times out of 10, these conditions are just a result of hormone imbalance. So if we can get comfortable with and get curious around our symptoms, we can actually start to treat these issues rather than use the pill as a treatment um, treatment method. I think the issue is that modern medicine doesn't have anything else to give for these problems. And it seems like a simple solution in theory you know it, it looks like a simple solution when you're just looking at it masking symptoms but it's the ramifications like I said it's the way that it severely upsets gut function it it completely robs our bodies of essential vitamins and minerals so what it means is that if you're lucky enough to come off the pill and then you conceive like I said you are more, more than likely really depleted and then this is when these like you're saying Cindy that after a, a uh, a child is born. We're starting to see all these childhood illnesses occur because the child is nutrient deficient. Basically, it doesn't have the nutrients. It doesn't have the gut function that it needs because it's inherited that from its mother. So, you know, what we say is that, you know, if I'm pregnant now with with my daughter, there's. And I've been on the pill and it's actually affected my body. That's passed on for three generations. It's 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 a my problem. It's my baby's problem. My baby has ovaries whilst it's inside me. It's her problem too and the child's problem. So, mm. you know, it, we have to overcome that. We have to break this cycle. And the only way we can do that is to become educated, understand the risks and make informed decisions. We're not here today to say you shouldn't take the pill. I'm here today to say you need to... Be informed and make a decision from a that place, so that you can then do that based on on sound research and feel comfortable with doing that. Because I'm fairly sure that a lot of women would choose differently. Now, you know, there are a big, or not a big, but there's a percentage of women that happily are on the pill that come off that there's no issues and and great. They're not the women that I see in my clinic that you know have been trying to conceive for five years and say to me, "I will never ever." do that ever again to my body it's taken me so long to get things back on track and very often these are the same women that require assistance with with reproduction because their body is so depleted and that again that that for me raises more issues you know if your body's too deficient to have a period if you're too deficient to be able to support a pregnancy that's your body telling you you can't do it yet we love to fight against it we've got all these ways and means that we can have babies you know say if our bodies aren't thriving which is wonderful but again I'm still encouraging these women to still be the best version of themselves still be as healthy as they can and can and that that's the difference between in my clinic that's the difference between you know seven eight nine ten IVF transfers or one or two and that tells me something as well so you know It's a long, big topic that we probably don't I could speak about it all day. But we have to think Mm. about these things. It's logical. It's not, we're just talking facts, you know.
1: Mm. What do you think is the the biggest reason that we um, have such a high rate of infertility? Is it one thing or is it a combination of things that we've been speaking about? Or is there something we can do to support this next generation more so than what we've been saying? Yeah, look, totally,
0: it's a combination. I do blame the pill a lot for it, I have to say, and that's just based on my, again, experience in the clinic. You know, we also set ourselves up to fail nowadays because every second person's having problems. And, you know, that emotional aspect of our health is a big factor and our thoughts create our reality. So if we're going into trying to conceive, already telling ourselves that we can't based on what we've watched our friends experience, we're setting ourselves up to fail and it's very very hard to 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 get into that subconscious and change those thought patterns it's not something we're necessarily taught or wired to be able to do so you know so i've mentioned then you know the pill i think is a big factor our emotional health i think is a big factor that leads me to stress is again influencing our, our reproductive hormones our body is super clever and so often we Feel that our bodies are failing us when our bodies, like Cindy said, it's trying to serve you little whispers that eventually become loud screams if we don't listen. And and I think that's very much the case when it comes to to stress. And as women, you know, we're super talented. Let's let's you know give credit where credit's due. We are the ultimate multitaskers, but there's always a cost to that. And I think that you know we can work full time and we can run a household and we can fit everything in but that what tends to suffer is our, our reproductive health because we don't need it to survive and and our bodies just take that offline as a coping mechanism. So, you know, I think we need to acknowledge that and if our menstrual cycles aren't regular or we do have things like endometriosis or PCOS or hormone imbalance of some, some description, we need to look at why that might be and I think that stress very much comes into that now also remembering stress is much more than just you being busy at work stress could be eating average food it could be past emotional issues it could be absorbing toxins your body doesn't differentiate or know the difference really it kind of just knows stress or not stress and and so we need to look at where that might be coming from outside of running late for an appointment or being under pressure at work so you know and then you know, there certainly. I think that there's genetics at play too, that do play a role. Now they don't have to play a role, but I think that more and more our genes are um, turned on in certain circumstances that are determining how um, effectively we can reproduce. There's there's a lot of research into genetics these days, and there's certain genotypes that you know that, that people will have trouble conceiving. Um, but again, they're very much turned on during times of stress. So, you know, there's lots of there is there are lots of factors, and I think we do need to be mindful. I'll tell you, say touch on one other thing when it comes to the pill. Uh, the pill does alter our ability to um, hone in on or sense an appropriate partner. So, it, you know, you know how we um, we let off. Um, what they call pheromones. pheromones. So we know that there's something that we we give off and that's pheromones and we know that the pill, basically we've got what's called couplins and they are like receptors or sensors that are in our nose that allow us to know when we are or allow us to be attracted to someone that we're suited to. And unfortunately the pill basically um, stops that from happening or shuts that down which means that potentially we might be attracted to someone that we may otherwise not be and which leads the question leads us to the question of whether or not we're being attracted to people that we may not be compatible to being able to reproduce with so this is you know it's 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 something that is I guess needs probably more explore- exploration but it's certainly a, a good thing to be thinking about the, the funny thing is women say to me in the clinic they're like does that mean now that I I'm going to stop taking the pill and I'm going to fall out of love with my husband and I'm like oh,
1: no. I don't think so but it's just interesting no, sweet, to- oh, you can do that at menopause no it's fine you can yes. do
2: that <laughs> <laughs> do you know- you know this It brings up a really fascinating you know it really brings up a fascinating topic about that whole thing and how i'm sure the pill is just one of the things that probably cause that because mm-hmm. there are many medications that we take that would probably interact with um those senses and mm-hmm. and what's right and what's wrong so it'd be interesting to see what other medications did because some people have autoimmune diseases where they have to be on, you know, immune-suppressing drugs. What else is that suppressing? You, you just, you really brought up a really good point there because surely it's just not the pill. Surely there are other things out there that are causing it.
1: Think, think about smoking too, like how much yeah.
2: that depresses mm-hmm.
1: the sense of smell and, and must therefore depress our sense of awareness around pheromones.
0: Absolutely, and even things like antidepressants as well. I think that that would play a big role too, you know, turning off senses that um, would otherwise be there to, well, these senses, I guess they're our guide, aren't they? They're, mm-hmm. our, they're our little our extra sense, so to speak. So I think it, it is really interesting. Sadly, the body is affected by these things. And I think, you know, the other thing to be mindful of is, mindful of is that if you have utilize these medications or you are relying on these medications, there are a lot of things you can do to support your body at the same time. Um, I mean, my ideal is that, that we get the body to a place where it's thriving within its own means. But like you said, Cindy, there are situations where people are on things like immunosuppressants or whatever that might be. And we can still do so much to support our bodies from the back end to to really be able to, to thrive um, no matter what.
1: Okay, so if we've got to that point, let's say we are pregnant. So we've got the magic thing. We've found out we're pregnant. Is there anything? <laughs> we've got the magic thing. Congratulations on the magic thing, Kimmy. <laughs> we've got the thing we've been working on. It's like the golden uh, egg has arrived. <laughs> it's impregnated. It's starting to make us. Okay, so we're, we've done that morning sickness. Now, there's a lot of medications out there now that people are put on with morning sickness. What's your thoughts around that?
2: Mm. Um, (laughs) Like thalidomide, is that what you're talking about there, Kimmy? No, I
1: just, I know that that was a mistake and thankfully they worked that way out. But um, there's other medications that I hear people are Mm. on. I'd just be, because of thalidomide, I'd just be so scared to take anything, to be honest. But I'm just wondering. I think
0: we're living in a time where we're so keen to, you know, opt for the silver bullet or the magic potion. Um, and unfortunately, very often they they aren't without ramifications. Look, I mean, certainly in those first early stages of pregnancy, when you've done the work to really get your body to a place where it's thriving, you'll find that your morning sickness won't be as bad as potentially what it could have been. Now, how And we can't measure that anyway. We don't really know. But, you know, certainly what I see in the clinic is that women that are um, have done, you know, a lot of the work to get their bodies to that really healthy place. They, they their morning sickness is quite minimal. I've also observed that people that have, or women that have, quite a poor relationship with food, tend to have the worst morning sickness. And I think it's your body's clever way of trying to trying to adjust things back to where it wants you to be to be able to sustain and support a pregnancy. So, I mean, mm. I say to patients, morning sickness is there for a reason, and you know, you can. I can certainly treat it from a Chinese. You know, I use Chinese medicine, acupuncture in the clinic, and acupuncture is brilliant to help treat morning sickness. But the reality is that it doesn't actually last because. Your body is doing what it needs to do, you know, and your hormones are doing what they need to do to support the pregnancy. So it's usually a, more of a symptomatic treatment, not actually something that is long-lasting. And certainly in the first um, trimester, I'll avoid treating morning sickness just because, oh, it's a couple of reasons. It's the body doing what it needs to do, but also if I take someone's morning sickness away, they come bashing on the door the next day and say to me, what have you done? You've done something to me, I, you know, and they start to question whether they're pregnant or not. So, you know, it is interesting, but the other thing I find with a lot of medications, and especially those that do try to suppress um, nausea, they don't actually fully take it away. They kind of just keep it at a level where you hopefully feel okay to function throughout the day. And I think that there's some other really clever things that you can do when it comes to morning sickness. Often morning sickness or, or nausea, that's in that first trimester is related to either being hungry or tired so if you can avoid those two things or support your body there you have far less of a chance of that actually being something that becomes you know vomiting and those sorts of things and and Again, every woman's different. It's going, to, it's going to be a matter of a case-by-case, case, but I would be encouraging women to look at the um, natural remedies, you know, things like ginger and soda or mineral water and those sorts of things to, to see if you can kind of manage it because there's not really anything that actually takes it away.
1: Mm. Mm. And would you recommend things like having massage during pregnancy and... You know, doing you know, really taking care of yourself, like facials, and really upping the self care, or is it?
0: Absolutely, I learned this firsthand. I was painting a fence at 28 weeks when I had Olivia, and that was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up the next day and I was in early labour, so mm. I was oh yeah, it was very dramatic in mm. in NK style. I was air flown, and I was I was yeah, it was all sorts of ridiculous, um, but. I thought I was invincible and I, I really love the way that we – in the past we nurtured pregnant women and we nurtured postpartum women, that they were seen as, as almost this goddess that needed extra care and support and nurturing. You are creating another human life and and I guess, you know, there was no one that was going to be able to tell me that I needed to sit down and, and rest. I was all systems go and it really took some drastic measures to make me relax and sit down and, and you know, not push my body. But I think Absolutely. There are some amazing practitioners and therapists out there that can support us through our pregnancy and it really is a time that we should be practising extra self-care and we should be doing that anyway but even more so in the time where we're um, growing another human being and another life and and really looking after ourselves from, you know, like you said, with things like massage and acupuncture and, and meditation and retreats and, you know, whatever you can do to get that in alongside optimal nutrition and lifestyle.
1: I almost saw pregnancy as an excuse to do all those things, Mm. Um, you know, that I was very, I I, I figured my body was an incredibly um, royal, it was royalty when it was pregnant as far as I was concerned. And it was, not that I carried on like a a pork chop or anything, but I mean, I I was trying to just, I really loved it and knew that it Mm. wouldn't last for a long time. Um, One of the questions that we had asked that I'm wondering if we can just have a quick look at was um, the the people are always saying preconception care is a great topic. I'd love to hear more on perinatal mental health and supporting mothers during this time in their lives. Also ways to heal after a health crisis, specifically a mental health breakdown after having a baby. What is your thoughts around that?
0: Yeah, I mean... Excuse me. I think we know that if you have a history of um, of um, a depressive illness or an emotional illness, or you know, it is really important to be mindful that your hormones are going to be heightened, and that that certainly, um, you know, you need to definitely be practicing, you know, like we're talking about this this extra special self care, but also. There are certain nutrients and vitamins that are really important to make sure that that are abundant during that time. And, you know, you know what I find fascinating? I've just finished touring the country with um, my Debunking Your Thyroid tour and it's really interesting because often symptoms can be... um, You know, we can think of the symptoms to be actually the problem, where that's not actually the case at all. So, when it comes to even your thyroid health, a depressed someone that's got a depressed brain looks very much like someone who's got a in or a lower like active thyroid. That the brains look the same, and I think very often, you know, why is that the case in the first place? If we've got if we suffer from depression, let's say, um, you know, I really encourage people to look further into what the root cause of that is is it an emotional thing is it gut health is it the thyroid is it the adrenals what's the playing factor there and how can we map that out so that we can support ourselves through the this this time that we know that our hormones are going to be um all over the place so to speak but again i think that also and that's what i'm glad you asked that because i wanted to just touch back on that that postnatal care and and You know, I think that a lot of cultures have it right. You know, there's cultures where women aren't allowed to leave the house for 40 days, let's say, and it might sound extravagant, but I think, you know, birth is a big deal Mm -hmm. and learning to breastfeed is a big deal and recovering from, all, you know, breastfeeding, sorry, recovering from breastfeeding, recovering from birth is is a big deal. And, you know, we're conditioned to believe, A, we've got to get on with it and, and get into it, which... You know, we do, but we've got our whole life to do that. Um, we're stuck with this, this little human being for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whatever. good or bad. No, no. But also,
0: but also that recovery, is, is, it, it takes time and we need to nurture our bodies and we need to draw on our community. And I think this is what we don't do anymore. Part of us nurturing ourselves and especially when there are known, like I said, if someone has um, a history of depression, let's say, you've got to build on your community we've been conditioned to believe we can go this alone all of a sudden you know we don't need our our, our loved one's help we can do this on our own I remember saying to my mum when I came home from hospital with my not before I came home sorry she was so keen to be there from the minute I got home and I was like oh no no mum the hospital said you just need to leave me alone for a while and I just need to I need to work it out for myself and so don't come and I'll just let you know when I'm ready <laughs> Remember getting, having her ringing my mum who lives in Adelaide on the phone in tears, going, "You gotta come now! Oh, I can't do this." Yeah, <laughs> because oh my God. because you don't know, right? But you're led to believe everybody else looks like they're doing it on their own, and you know the saying. Obviously, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. You know, I think we need to go a step back. It takes a village to be a human being, and and drawing on our community in those special times I think is so important and even like you said Cindy you know before when you read the Red Tent and you know women were congregating together and they were going to this sacred place at that special time I think the same thing can be said for almost everything that we do but traditionally women got together and you know men went off and and hunted and gathered and did whatever and women were together all the time and they were you know if you had an issue aren't whoever over there had that same issue back way back in the day and she knew how to fix it or someone knew how to come in or there was someone that could actually treat you or whatever that was. And I think that postnatal, that's the time we absolutely need to be drawing on our our community, our loved ones, people that are close to us. And it doesn't necessarily have to be family for people that don't have family close by, um, but it just needs to be your community to support you through that time.
1: Mm, I agree and tell mm. me what about the men we've talked about the women here we <laughs> we probably do need to give the you know the yeah they're, the, they're out, they are they are the impregnators <laughs> some sort of airtime here <laughs>
0: nice,
1: Kim. Nice. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Can I say, you know, the amount of people or,
0: that come into the clinic, and it's not, you know, we're we're so keen to focus all of our attention on the female and her health, but an embryo is fifty percent him and fifty percent her, and we we don't place enough emphasis on male health and fertility. And you know, and an those
2: embryo, guys, those yeah. guys make those little sperm all the time. They do. So, <laughs> Totally. Yeah, and they're it. always we've trying
0: to get it. them out. <laughs> 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 well, here's the thing, right? So this is what we fail, I think, to think of. that An embryo, like I said, it's 50% him, 50% her. And in that time of conception, in that time of implantation, in those early weeks, it is the embryo that's doing the work, not the, necessarily just the female's body. If that embryo isn't doing what it's supposed to do, if it isn't secreting the right, the right, hormones, if it isn't implanting in the right way, yes, okay, the The female's um, environment has to be favourable, but it's the embryo doing the work mm-hmm. that's making the female do then what she needs to do to maintain that. And if it can't do that, you know, 50% of that at least, I say a little bit more actually, is reliant on that male aspect. So absolutely, we have to be, the same things apply, it's beautiful, we don't have to change anything, I mean, obviously, we don't have to get them to watch their 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 rhythms and their cycles, but... In terms of what we need diet and lifestyle-wise, it's the same thing. All the things that we've spoken about is applicable for the male. So, you know, making sure that our diet is is right, making sure we're removing those chemicals that could be um, endocrine disruptors and and, um, also stress and all of those things also apply for the male as well. And you know, again, people say to me, "Oh, well, you know, how often should we be having sex? Should, should we, do we have to save it all up for the big event each month? And no, we don't. There's so many of those those little things in there that we, it, you can't actually you can't actually overdo it in that department. In fact, the more you
1: do it, the better it is. So you just had a whole lot of men screaming, Hallelujah. I
0: know, I have this all the time. I get I get hugs in the clinic all the time and I get the women look at me with these looks on their faces as if to say,
1: Shut up <laughs> Mind you, once a woman's decided she wants a baby, I can tell you what lookout mean. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
0: really. So, and you know, it's it's a it's a two way thing, and you know, I think that's a beautiful thing to come back to. It takes a lot of pressure off um, the female, and again, if we can approach the time as something that's fun, and we we um, take the stress out of it, I think it can be such a beautiful time and such an exciting time um, for a couple to be able to, you know, have that special time together and also be able to create another human life.
1: Just one quickie, Um, literally. um, (laughs) (laughs) If we've we've realised we're pregnant and we date it back to a night of, let's just say, a bender, (laughs) and we realise that we were a little bit drunk and debauched when that occurred, um, what are some of the things you can do to... I mean, you know, is there something we can do to, you know, because I, I think the hard thing for women, a lot of women out there will feel guilty or they the carry worry or all those sorts of things. What do you do? I mean, it's a pretty sturdy okay. little thing to have come in there at that time. Totally. So here's one thing too I have to say, and especially this is
0: really applicable for women that ha- and, and men that have been trying for a period of time. And, and unfortunately there's, you know, when someone, when a couple have been trying for some time, stress starts to wean its way in and sometimes the bender is what's needed (laughs) so you know it's a moment in time and sometimes we need to enjoy the moment and move on and you know they are an embryo is resilient and if it's viable it will implant and do what it's supposed to do the beautiful thing is that you don't actually have a placenta at that time it's not really being necessarily fully fed to the fed to the baby your body's pretty good at um you know filtering these things out and yes okay of course you want to step it up and probably nurture yourself a little bit better and make sure that in the days after that that you are doing all the things that we've spoken about basically Mm -hmm. um but i think it's it's again it's one of those things you got to kind of go all right that happened Let's not do that again. Um, I need to actually just live in the moment, enjoy my life, and move on. And I, I think that's actually a really important thing to bring up. I have had many women in my clinic bawling their eyes out because they've had a bender, they've found out that they're pregnant, and they're like, What have I done to my baby? And, mm. you know, it's just its a moment in time. It really is. But it's not something that we would be saying that you would be going and doing every night of the week by any means. But you know, as a one off, I think it's just it sometimes letting your hair down is exactly what
1: needs to happen. Mm. Thank you just thank you for having Everyone just go Hallelujah again. Yeah. <laughs> chin chin.
2: And and it also takes the guilt off, mm. you know. I think sometimes there's this this whole guilt about, Oh my gosh, what have I done? Is this mean the child's gonna have fetal alcohol syndrome? <laughs> I know.
0: Absolutely, mm, yeah, but this is, again, that, what I was saying before mm, too, you know, we are always looking for the worst case scenario because yeah. it's it's everywhere in front of us and our bodies are pretty clever. And, you know, it's fair to say that if that was the case, you and I wouldn't be here because I'm pretty sure that there was many drunken Randy Nights <laughs> throughout history that have led to us where we are today. Good <laughs> point. Yeah, yeah.
2: Good point. I had not thought of that. When you think about your own, you kind of go well yeah that happened in my life and so if it happened in your life it's bound to have happened (laughs) in millions of lives i know this is what you know i like i said we are we our
0: stress our stress sentences are on all the time and the emails that i i see come through especially with really anxious young not young anxious and early pregnant women and you know this is what you got to come back to you know we wouldn't be here if that was mm. the case of a lot of our anxieties and fears are uh, just that and you know they're not necessarily something that we need to um put the energy into we kind of just acknowledge it move on and make sure that okay well we move on from that we're not going to do that whilst we're pregnant
1: mm. now is there now- any other things um on your website or like where can we go to find out more or if people wanted to see you what what would be the best way
0: yeah, um, my website's au. Pretty much everything you can, you need to find is on there. I guess the two or the three, my, actually they're all relevant. All my e-courses sit there and the, the ovulation e-course is probably the most relevant to um, setting or understanding your body for conception or contraception. Um, that is that I go through basically helping women to understand their menstrual cycles no matter what, whether it's long or short or missing or whatever that might be. We talk about the pill and that was really the first um, e-course that we created by experiment that, that led us on this path and I think that's probably the best one for people to look at if they are keen to fall pregnant and want to understand their menstrual cycles because, you know, there are some fabulous apps out there and if you know how to use them properly, by honing in on what your body's telling you then you can really start to understand your body whether like i said whether it be to conceive or to prevent that from happening as well
1: nice nice mm. and facebook and instagram i oh, love yeah. following you um <laughs> yeah i love your pickies and and then your holidays like in hawaii oh my goodness you know when we were, when we bump into lawrence in the pool was that not hilarious <laughs> That was so funny oh, so no. funny um, and yeah. Periscope, I notice you're on Periscope oh, so. I am, I'm
0: not very good with it I need to get in there a little bit more but I blame Hawaii, we were away for a couple of weeks and Periscope kind of was launched and then all of a sudden we're in Hawaii and I, would, I just bummed around for two weeks and there was nothing to really share other yeah. than me on a deck chair <laughs> Yeah,
1: and I liked it, it made me want to go and sit on mine but <laughs> um, sweet, Cindy, did you have any other questions for our gorgeous Dr Nat?
2: Well, yes, I was. I was going to say I've got a million questions for you, Nat, but I think we'll get you back on, and I mm. think we'll go through m- maybe yeah. menopause. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we've talked about preconception, and um, I think menopause is something that's reaching a lot of our listeners, and including me. And um, and me, I think it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> She's piped up, um, and I just think it'd be it's something good to talk about because. I, I find it fascinating. Like I've been going through it, um, is it two or a month, three years now, and I know what affects it. So I'd, I'd really love to have you back and if we could do that, that would be just wonderful. So I'm not even going no, to start on those questions. Do that. that sounds yeah. fun.
1: Let's make a date. Okay, good. <laughs> let's, good, good, let, good. We'll Let's do that. just say I was told that it's, it's no wonder that women used to have children in their 20s as opposed to now in their 30s because by the time they hit menopause, the teenagers had gone. So to put a menopausal woman with a teenage <laughs> child was probably not the most wisest thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, Nat, you've been a legend. We love you dearly. Is there any final words you wanted to say at all?
0: No, I think we've covered everything, but I want to say that I can't wait to, to high-five you ladies in a few weeks at the summit oh, and um, and be back on here again whenever you're ready to have me. Oh,
1: we love it. We love you dearly. So on that note, we hope you have all really enjoyed this podcast as much as we have. If you're interested in giving us a five-star rating, then of course go to iTunes and enter up for a chat. We would very much appreciate it, especially this show with our gorgeous Nat artists. If you would like to go and place any comments or feedback on the Facebook page, go to all the W's, facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. And also feel free to post your comments on the wellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. We hope that you look forward to also seeing us here in the same place next week on Up for a Chat, where we look forward to sharing the ride with you. Before then, take care and we look forward to seeing you again soon. All the best now.